Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera, pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCI US LLC. It's Monday. Good afternoon. Welcome to another exciting edition of the of the Pulse with me, Elton Grove. Now, in this afternoon's edition, fresh violence in Boko as bars carrying market women is hit with a bullet. There are reports of six deaths in the last hour. This afternoon, there is desperate call from the national chief imam for ceasefire and resumption of peace talks as the Ghana Armed Forces raises concern about the changing dynamics of the conflict with insurgents now resorting to highly sophisticated weapons including rocket propelled grenades and targeting state installations such as Goyal. Come great people and loosen their education. Let's start from Boko and where six people have been killed in another attack in the last hour. Abesori joins me live for more. He's a Upper East Regional Correspondent. Abbott, welcome to the pause here on Joy News. Now, give us the very latest. We are hearing six people have been killed in the last hour. Yes, Elton. So, um, the last 48 hours have been calm. Uh, this morning, our checks in, in Boko showed that um, normalcy had returned, um, only that there was a significant increase in the number of security personnel that were on the ground uh, doing foot patrols and also um, vehicular uh, patrols as well. It was just uh, about an hour ago when news came in that a bus which uh, had been carrying uh, some traders, uh, mainly women, who were on their way to a market in the Binduri district was ambushed and um, the, the gunmen fired uh, you know, several shots at the bus 
Um, it took a while before the security uh, traveled to the, the place uh, to see what was going on. But um, what we are told is that there were casualties. Uh, the casualties, uh, as we have been told, are six. I've been able to confirm this number with my sources within the police. Uh, they include two uh, male, two men, and four women. As we speak, uh, my checks in Boku show that the uh, people have already heard about this incident and families of uh, some of the people who were in that bus are eagerly uh, waiting to hear the news of whether their relatives are among the deceased or not. Uh, it's also reportedly increased the tension and so many people have already uh, retreated from the streets and gone indoors uh, for fears of what could happen. We are told that the soldiers have also uh, increased surveillance. A lot of them are currently on the streets of Boko uh, and they are doing patrols. And so because of this, um, many people are also keeping away from the streets because uh, one, they do not want to... Um, get caught in the middle of any reprisal shootings or even get into trouble with the military because of what recently happened. And so that is what we know of this uh, recent incident. So, so, so these are indigents of Boko? Well, for now, we cannot tell whether they are all indigents of Boko, but we know that the bus was headed from Boko towards Bindubi. So there is a high possibility that uh, indigents of who are involved. But what, what usually happens uh, with passenger buses of this nature is that they, they pick people uh, from Boko on the way to the market, they, they pick other people, um, you know, into the bus. So we, we cannot tell whether all the diseased are from Boko uh, at this moment, but we do know. So that's our Upper East Region correspondent, I'll be sorry, bringing us up to speed on events in the Boko Township where six people uh, are reported dead after a bus they were traveling on uh, was ambushed by gunmen. It's, it's unclear what triggered the, the, the clashes. Uh, let me take you back to Boko because Albert is back on the line. So Albert, uh, you were telling us whether these are indigenous or people who had come from other parts of the town. Albert, if you can unmute and if you can hear me, I, yes. I was asking whether uh, you were able to establish if those who are injured and the deceased, are they, or were they indigents or they had come from other communities to Boko? Yes, Elton, uh, I lost the network a little bit. So what I was explaining was that what usually happens with passenger buses of this nature is that they, they pick passengers from uh, Boko and other places on their way. Mm -hmm. So for now, we cannot um, confirm categorically whether all the passengers in the bus were from Boko. What we do know is that the bus was headed from Boko to uh, the Binduri district. And so we know that um, there may be a lot of uh, passengers from Boko in that bus. But at the moment, we are unable to confirm whether all the uh, deceased and even uh, we, we're told that there are two people who are severely injured as well at the moment. We cannot tell whether all of them are indigents of Boko uh, at this material moment. And are you also able to tell us what may have triggered this latest incident? Uh, 
Well, the information we have now is that it's still in connection with um, the, the conflict that is ongoing. Uh, for some, I mean, this is not the first time that uh, a passenger bus has been ambushed. Remember, only uh, a week ago, less than a week ago, this was on Friday, uh, a bus that was carrying students from the Boko Presbyterian Nursing Training College mm. who had uh, just vacated and they, and they were on their way was ambushed and fired at. Um, there was one person who who was injured and is still receiving treatment in hospital from that incident. Last year, a bus which was also carrying women who were on their way uh, across the border to Senkasi in Togo to do their business was ambushed by gunmen who also shot at it. So this is just um, usual ambushments by gunmen and it is most likely related to the ongoing uh, conflict. Yeah. What about tension in the area as we speak? Is it heightened? Exactly so. So from what we are learning, a lot of people have already deserted the streets and they have gone indoors because tension is uh, is very high in Boko as we speak. Uh, but what we are told is that the soldiers have immediately, um, you know, taken over the streets. There's a lot of uh, patrols and a lot of uh, you know, soldiers who are so uh, moving on foot, you know, trying to sec uh, secure the town. Um, but what is also happening is that um, people are keeping indoors for their own safety and also to avoid getting into any uh, trouble with the soldiers because of the recent happening in which uh, civilians were uh, caught on the wrong side uh, uh, with, with soldiers who eventually fired and killed them, uh, you know, from what we were told in, in the Ghana Armed Forces statement yesterday. So, yes, tension is high. Mm. Um, you know, people are keeping indoors for fears of reprisals. Let, let me ask a final question before I let you go. I mean, last Friday was some students who were traveling on a bus and they were attacked. One person was injured this afternoon. You are reporting six people confirmed dead after being attacked by unknown government. What does it tell about the level of vigilance of the security agencies in the town? It's, it's the question that a lot of people struggle to answer um, because as at, uh, even this afternoon, from what we learned, there were a whole lot of uh, military patrols, boats mm. in vehicles, and uh, some also patrolling on foot. Um, we do not know how these gunmen still manage to outwit the security and ambush uh, vehicles and shoot at passengers. It's something that um, a lot of the uh, citizens are worried about, and they do not know how it is happening. Um, for a long time now, many of the citizens have been complaining that they have almost lost uh, faith in the ability of the security agencies to protect life and property in Boko. And so this recent one, uh, even with the fact that the number of uh, security personnel, soldiers uh, to be specific, mm -hmm. was increased only uh, two days ago, uh, is only going to go further to heighten uh, the, the fears and, you know, the, 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 the uh, mindset that people have that the security um, are failing at their job. Well, thank you very much. I will say safe out there. We'll come back to you if there's any development on this matter because Boko clearly 
is, is not going away anytime soon. Let me bring in Dr. Gideon Ofosu Piasa, who is an analyst with Global Initiative Against Transnational Crime. They conducted a research last year which revealed that the trafficking of high caliber firearms was fueling the violence in Bokwe. He joins me now for more. Uh, Dr. Ofosu, I mean, this is not good news. In one breath, we have the view that the security agencies uh, was on top of their game, but clearly things are getting out of hand. <laughs> the connection is not stable. We'll reconnect with Dr. Fosu uh, so that we can get to understand what they've done. I mean, they've done some research in the past and they've concluded on how some of these weapons are able to uh, get into Boko. We will try to find out how uh, their research, what we can learn from and how best uh, their research findings can be incorporated to ensure that there is some peace and stability in Boko. Uh, Dr. Fosu, if you can hear me, uh, you're welcome back to the pause. You're enjoying the accent. Recent events does not tell that Boko is returning to normalcy. So what we know is that um, there are some underlying drivers which has not been dealt with. Mm -hmm. We know that um, the underlying factor um, significantly has been the chieftaincy conflict. And then um, due to that, um, there are also flows of sophisticated arms in recent times. Mm -hmm. It used to be artisanal um, weapons, but the quest for each of the um, major ethnic groups um, is... <laughs> to, should I say, um, kill each other and um, to wipe out a particular ethnic group is causing the demand for very high, sophisticated weapons. Mm. And then um, what we know is that um, these weapons, uh, there are flows of these sophisticated weapons from Burkina Faso. Um, we know that um, there are also people from um, their Libya retinees. And then when they belong to any of these major uh, ethnic groups, they or arms on the illicit market. And then um, we also know that um, there are also flows from the port in Tema, um, whereby some of these um, weapons even come from the United States of America and then Turkey. And then they are mixed with personal effects put in containers and then are brought into the country. Mm. Again, what we also know is that um, there are, there's a significant number of um, um, illicit entry routes into the country. Mm. Um, there was a report by the one in 2019 which indicated that there are 44 official immigration entry points, but in reality there were 189 unofficial entry points. So um, the insecurity situation in um, Burkina Faso and then mm. we also know that um, um, the northern borders um, have become a haven where some of these um, armed groups do stay. So there's that kind of connection um, it doesn't appear that the internet is our best friend this afternoon. You are listening to uh, the, the policy on Joy News. Uh, we, we, I will we'll re-establish contacts on a clear line with Dr. Fosu Piasa. But as you may be aware, this is a conflict that has raged for decades. Records show that the Boko crisis began even before Ghana gained independence in 1957, outliving President Kwame Nkrumah and all those who have come after him. So why are the people of Boko still at war with themselves? Where are they getting the weapons from? Who is sponsoring them? We will seek answers today. In the last week or so, there's been an escalation... Where 
least seven persons dead and several others injured. In a statement, the Ghana Armed Forces underlined the changing dynamics of the situation with insurgents now adopting more sophisticated weapons. On Thursday, for instance, there was an attempt by some armed men to blow up a oil fuel station using rocket-propelled grenade. That day, three people who the military said had attempted to attack its soldiers on the ground were shot dead, a claim some locals have disputed. That statement also gave a vivid description of what's happening in Boko. So uh, I'm just going to recap portions of the statement that was released by the Ghana Armed Forces. Soldiers deployed on Operation Media Buri to restore calm in the area have killed three innocent Kusasi youth at Sabangidi. Now, assailants, according to the Ghana Armed Forces, were initially held in custody by their troops and subsequently executed. Now, Masiga, Assemblyman, personally approached the Boko detachment to negotiate the release of the deceased assailant. That's according to uh, information part from the Ghana Armed Forces and from people we've been speaking to now. Uh, 11 mechanized battalion deployed in the Boko indicated that fashions to the conflict appear to have resumed escalation of violence with fatal consequences. This is a statement coming from the Ghana Armed Forces. And if we can take you back to what we have reported so far, on January 12, 2024, Issa Halidu uh, was an, an unidentified gunman. Now, in, on the 17th of January, three persons killed. Escuchas ese rugido? Sientes la experiencia de poder? La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Four injured by unknown gunmen. On the same day, on the 17th of January 2024, attempt to light up a rocket-propelled grenade uh, bomb was, you know, unsuccessful. And that same day, four gunmen attacked military uh, men on patrol, military return fire, and neutralized three of them. And it's as much as the Ghana Armed Forces regret the demise of the assailants, the escalating violence in the Boko General Area is unfortunate, according to the Ghana Armed Forces. The presence and attempt to detonate high explosives such as RPG bombs in the operational environment signposts, uh, clearly, according to the Ghana Armed Forces, is changing the dynamics of the threat portfolio in the Boko Enclave. So, therefore, it is instructive, according to them, to know that direct, directly engaging the military is a development that could result in fatal consequences, as troops will spare no opportunity to defend themselves as well as protect residents of Boko. Therefore, factions in the Boko conflict, according to the Ghana Armed Forces, are cautioned against drawing the military into direct armed confrontation whilst efforts are undertaken to resolve the current impasse. So, so, so let, let me go to the lines again and bring in Dr. Gideon Piazza. So, Gideon, Dr. Piazza, you are making the point that I mean, uh, there are so many unauthorized routes that people can use to smuggle weapons into the country. And that raises the issue of the level of vigilance of our security agency. Not very well that Boko is a volatile area. Yes. So, as I said, um, the data 
published by the one in uh, 2019 that the unofficial And again, let me apologize for the bad connection there. You know, the internet clearly is not acting right this afternoon, but you are watching the polls here on Joy News. We are live on DSTV Channel 421. We are looking at the recent developments in Boko in the last hour or so. Uh, there's been some, you know, attack on a, on a bus that was carrying some market women. Uh, we are told that six, six people uh, have been confirmed that some were injured in the process. You heard our correspondent, Ave Sorry, was reporting live from Boko. That the situation the situation has escalated tension in the area the military are on the on, on the streets ensuring that there is peace and stability in the boko township we'll try to get more answers from boko but as we have it this afternoon the latest information is that a bus that was carrying some market women was attacked by unknown gunmen six people six six people in the process lost their lives and some people uh, got injured and been taken to hospital for further treatment. Uh, Dr. Ofozu uh apologies for the bad connection we had earlier on. Now, I am certain that we can have a very meaningful conversation on the telephone. So, I asked you earlier about the unapproved rules and how best we, and, and, and what we can do to ensure that these matters are dealt, because that clearly has become the entry point for some of these uh, weapons. Yes, uh, Dr. Fuzu, I was asking about the unapproved rules and what, from your estimation, can be done to block them because clearly that has been the entry point for the uh, weapons. Yes, so um, as I indicated, yes, so the immigration and then the country's security forces are aware of that. Um, they usually deploy their men to mandate unapproved rules. But because the people do have in those communities um, who usually transport this mangled weapon, um, uh, do know the um, community so well. They create new routes as and when new ones are identified and then are blocked. And then the, the borders are so much as, um, as uh, it becomes particularly important to have men on approved routes um, 24-7. So sometimes they are regular patrols um, and then they do know when uh, these um, patrol teams come around and when they leave. So this is an issue that needs to be dealt with. My understanding is that um, um, one of the ways that can be dealt with is maybe if um, the use of technology, if maybe CCTVs or some kind of logistics can be done in such a way that um, they can be some kind of monitoring from a, a control room along these border lines because um, it is also worrying. So, so, so therefore, you are not surprised with what is happening now? Yes, we, we, we are not surprised because for you to have 489 official entry and then new being created day in and day out. Um, we are not surprised. We also see some leakages also um, of these weapons. Um, apart from the smuggling network that I indicated earlier on, we also see leakages from the um, official weapon stock. So we see leakages from the police armory, from the military armory. We hear of the police um, attack um, at checkpoints, the guns stolen, um, security personnel at border areas, manning on approved routes being attacked, and then their weapons stolen. There are some of these weapons that also um, leave these um, official armory due to corruption. 
to these people. So we, we also see that is happening. And then um, but that is also being um, added to the already existing um, flow of um, um, the manufacture of artisanal weapons. So that is what we are also seeing. And then um, as we indicated, um, the underlying drivers, the conflict, um, the drivers, there is also community support, um, community self-defense groups are being formed in Boko. And then these guys, are um, these youth groups are the ones who usually protect these communities. And then they are provided with weapons. Communities will have to contribute money in order to get very much um, strong weapons so that they can deal with the other opponents. And then when you speak to the security forces, they will tell you that sometimes the sound of these weapons are, if not more, um, are even, if not more sophisticated than what they have, are, um, are equal to the firepower that they have. So the, 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 these are the dynamics. Some financing from political actors, some financing from business owners um, that we call conflict friends who, 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 who benefit from um, the, the, the conflict. So the, the, that is what is happening. And why has it become so difficult for the country, for example, to unmask the beneficiaries of this, you know, uh, this conflict that has raged for years? I mean, the, the talk of financiers, people who are benefiting from it, faceless individuals, why has it become so difficult for us to unmask them? You see, dealing with this, um, the faceless individuals um, is not a root cause. You have to deal with the root cause, other than that, we'll be dealing with the symptoms. Now, these financiers, community members themselves do contribute to buy these weapons. People belonging to these ethnic groups who are well-to-do, who are in the country or out of the country, always receive a lot of pressure from their communities in order to support them, in order to get these weapons to them. And then if they do not do that, they are seen as bad people. But the underlying, there is a root cause, and then the root cause has to do with the distancing issue. So you speak to the people, and then they, 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 so some of the things that they tell you is that there's lack of trust, and then maybe if um, these issues can be resolved, for instance, if um, the National House of Chiefs can come, um, can select, let's say, a high-powered team to look at a way of resolving these issues, maybe some headway will, will be made. And then that kind of link between um, these major ethnic groups and then the political parties is something that we need to look out for. Mm. We are told that there's a connection, the Mampusis are affiliated to the new patriotic party and then the Kusazis are affiliated to the um, National Democratic Congress. So depending on which government is, is in, in power, a particular ethnic group feels that um, they should have the power to be able to deal with the other ethnic groups. So they are also um, um, this um, underlying political link in there. So we need to deal with the root cause. Other than that, just um, dealing with the symptoms may not work. From the, from the weapons angle and from what your research found, what do you consider to be the roadmap to deal with that aspect of the conflict? Okay, so um, the, the research that we did um, aimed at looking at um, the flows. So we did not look at the solutions on how to deal with that. Mm. But as, um, one of the key things that we had most of our respondents say is that they would be open for... Um, some form of mediation, but this time around, um, it, it should be left to the National House of Chiefs to deal with this. So we had them mention something that, okay, if they have, like, a high-powered traditional leader, maybe for two or four, uh, is part of this team, this is a respected person, and there's such a whole of his caliber. If we give them the resources that they need, they can help deal with, um, how do you call it, the, the issue. But that was the major thing which came up.
although our research did not focus on how these conflicts can be uh, resolved. But in the circumstances where the municipal chief executive, who is the chairperson of the municipal security council, feels helpless to the extent that he says his own life is at stake, there are certain places he cannot go, even as head of the security council. And clearly, the situation is clearly getting out of hand. Yes, you see, this is a trust issue. Now, you know, when we are, um, the, 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 the municipal chief executive is the head of DICES, and DICEC, the regional minister is the head of DICEC. And then there's a lack of trust issue. They will tell you that the municipal chief executive, who is the head, belongs to one, one ethnic group. The head of the red the also belongs to another ethnic group. So there is that lack of trust in the architecture. And then the conflict, they do not have the, the trust that they can help in resolving the issue. So, we, we, so the, the, the people feel that because they belong to a particular ethnic group, sometimes the decisions that they take would be skewed towards um, the ethnic group that they belong to. So that is what is happening. That is, there's a lack of trust. That is what is happening. That's the reason why they feel that if um, the, the National House of Chiefs can be, can be brought into deal with, with, with this issue, mm. that would go a long way to help. All right, Dr. Ofosu Piazza, thank you very much for sharing that some aspects of your research findings. But remember that government some time back, you know, uh, taxed the Asante Hino Tomb Force to the second, uh, together with some chiefs to lead mediation effort to resolve or to bring permanent solution to this matter, just like the Asante Hino and the two eminent chiefs did to resolve the dark bomb chieftaincy crisis. Now, the national chief imam last night, the national chief imam called for ceasefire and asked that peace talks resume. The spokesperson, Sheikh Aremia, who also represents the chief imam at the National Peace Council, spoke on behalf of the chief imam on the probe with MFA Apau. I would wish that we really, really get our politicians from the northern part of the, of the country to, to establish a certain united front where both NDC and MPP and the other political parties who are MPs are now talking collectively about the situation uh, and how the, the situation is dire and the, the circumstance that is putting the people of Boku in. Um, you see, the name is shaming sometimes for those of us who are peace activists. We are very particular about what we say in public okay. so that it doesn't undermine our strategy to want to bring the warring factions together at a round table. Once you pass judgment, next time you are calling the person, you are not getting him. Okay. And the situation gets more and more aggravated. So we prefer that we identify such people and then probably behind the scenes call them and draw their attention to the evils, to the evils and the negative impact of what they are doing. So we can speak to their conscience and get them to change in their mindset and also influence the mindset of those people who are there. Young people who could become great people are losing their ed education they are becoming more and more poor. They can't go to the farm. They cannot make money. And yet people from far away somewhere are sponsoring these sophisticated weapons that we are talking about. And this afternoon, there is a campaign by the National Commission on Small Arms and Light Weapons to end gun violence, such as the one we are witnessing in Boko. In our world today, gun violence is a real and tragic problem. Every year, thousands of people, including Ghanaians, lose their lives or are injured because of small arms. Some people usually use small arms when there is misunderstanding. Jesus! Jesus! 
but guns are not the solution. They only make the problem worse. Guns only make you vulnerable, not powerful. Gun violence is a threat to our peace and development. We'll go on the lines and joining us via Zoom is JB Asante, Senior Programs Officer, National Commission on Small Arms and Light Weapons. Also on the line is Adib Sani, is a security analyst who has also paid close attention to the situation in Boko. So we'll start with the Small Arms Commission. And because this is a matter that involves weapons, and now we are told that they are moving from small arms to even using uh, weapons that we see uh, during you know, war. And it's quite interesting. So the Small Arms Commission is a state against that. It's tax with the responsibility of showing that some of these small arms are out of the system. They've done a lot of work uh, in, in the past years to uh, bring some sanity uh, in the country as it relates to people owning weapons and weapons that are not in the hands of people who are qualified to have them. And so the Small Arms Commission, a director of programs, will soon join us via uh, Zoom for us to talk about these matters. Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera, pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. And more, as we pay close attention to the escalating situation in Boko, where this afternoon six people have died. So, Mr. Mr. Sante, uh, you've been following the, the, the developments in Boko, and in the last hour, we reported six more people confirmed dead after a bus they were traveling on was attacked by unknown gunmen. What is your initial reaction to this uh, as we delve into the issue of small arms? If you, if you can kindly, yes, unmute for me so we can hear you. Mr. Jib, can you unmute for me so we can hear you? Yes. Hello, can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you now. Fantastic. Thank you very much. So I was asking about your in initial reaction to the latest development where we are reporting six dead, some injured uh, in the latest development in Boko. Okay, thank you very much. Um, this is a very sad situation. Um, something that all of us um, are trying to prevent. And I'm sure... Everybody who hears this news should really be sad that we have to get to this point. So as a commission on small arms and light weapons, that is really um, a great concern to us mm. because our goal has been to promote safe, peaceful, and gun violence-free societies. And we all know what is happening in Boko. It's something that takes us back um, so many years so far as our development is concerned. And so we were hoping that we will not get to that point, um, what is happening in Boko. But I think what is happening in Boko should be a reflection um, of a bigger picture that as a commission we are all trying to prevent. Because if we do not take preventive measures to make sure that we do not go that way, then all of us are in trouble because then our safety and our peace and our security will be in danger. And like the unfortunate incident that has happened 
today, people who are traveling, innocent citizens, who I'm sure probably don't even know anything about the conflict, having to lose their lives in this way. That is a very, very sad situation. And so we are trying to make sure that we prevent these instances, more of these instances from happening. And, of course, we wish what has happened wouldn't have happened. But unfortunately, this is where we are so far as the Boko situation. And, and, and from where you speak, from the Office of the Small Arms Commission, are you making any headway? Because as if this conflict is happening and people are getting killed because weapons are in play and weapons that you have been campaigning over the years to take them out from the hands of people who are not authorized to hold them. Are you, from, from what we are witnessing, do, 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 do you think that the, the commission is doing enough to arrest the situation? Okay, thank you very much. Uh, yes, the commission is doing um, its best, not only the commission, and of course when we talk about the commission, we are talking about um, a composition of all the security agencies um, plus other relevant ministries. So the military, the police that we see on the ground, they are all part um, of the commission. And so whatever is going on is something that uh, some of the measures that have to be taken to make sure that we bring calm and sanity in the Boko municipality. Uh, as a commission, for example, we have to establish an office for example, mm. where we'll be able to carry on you know, a number of activities, including sensitization. Um, we intended to go to schools and sensitize them, meet with churches, mosques, you know, sensitize all of them, meet with youth groups, women groups, and all that. But unfortunately, because of what is happening, we are not able to do that. So we have to, um, we have a regional office mm. in Bolga, and we have an officer that oversees um, Boko. One of the plans that uh, we have early this year was to, like I said, start embarking on this public education and sensitization um, in the community and also have some um, stakeholders, uh, stakeholders engagement. And uh, together with the National Peace Council, uh, continue with the good work that they are doing. But there's no office of in Boko. Because... Sorry? I asked if your office is very operational in Boko. No, we are, we are not in Boko, like I said, because of the current situation. So we have an officer who is based at Bolga, mm. but who oversees uh, what is going on you know, in Boko. Uh, so because of the conflict situation, it is difficult. So, and even, you know, so, I mean, so, 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 so Mr. Jemi, even the Small Arms Commission, that, 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 that is working to retrieve arms from hands that are that these weapons are not supposed to be as run away from the place no so as as a commission as as a secretariat we do not retrieve weapons from the system so like i said that the commission consists of other security security mm. agencies and that is what the police and the military are doing they are on the ground making sure that sanity and peace um, prevail but a commission as a secretariat you know, we do not wield weapons, so we cannot just go into a community uh, with this kind of situation to retrieve arms. And I don't know if you heard the MC speak on Saturday that such a move had been made. 
Yeah. But unfortunately, when they, they, they did their search, they couldn't retrieve any weapon. And I have been saying this. Now that is one of the difficulties in war. Because people say, why don't you conduct a search and make sure you retrieve these weapons? It is not that simple. They don't keep the weapons in their homes. They, where they keep their weapons, <laughs> it's not easy for the security agencies even to find them. So that is one of the challenges that we have. And you see, the, uh, until the people of Boko themselves agree or come to the realization that they need to put the weapons down and begin to talk peace, it is very difficult. Very, very difficult. You spoke to um, the doctor who had done a lot of research. Mm. He told you about how porous our borders are, the number of unapproved routes that we have. See, it is very difficult for the security agencies to be along all these borders. Mm -hmm. So, unfortunately, the weapons have already infiltrated into the Boko um, community. And that is what is being used to cause um, these mayhem. So, for so the experience, what should be done? Yes. So, we need the people of um, Boko really need attitude matching. We need to do a lot more engagement. We need to engage with them. And like the earlier speaker said, you know, what El Tunfo has started to do, we all need to support him. We all need to see how best we can support them to get the two factions together to come and dialogue, mm -hmm. to understand, to let bygone to bygone, to forgive, you see, because uh, it's like yesterday you killed a loved one, and today I'm also targeting at killing a loved one. It, it, it becomes a cycle. So each and every day, something is happening because someone wants to avenge the death of somebody Someone still, you know, wants to settle scores. And until they come to the round table, until they agree that, look, at a point we need to stop fighting and begin to talk about peace. Mm. For the sake of our mothers, for the sake of our children, for the sake of our grandparents, for the sake of the vulnerable. People are losing lives who don't really have anything to do with the, 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 the source of the conflict. So like the earlier speaker ahead of me said, we need to deal with the root cause. Really bringing about this conflict. That is what we need to deal with. If not, even if we, we, we take out weapons, uh, firearms, you know, people will still resort to other means of becoming violent mm. in the name of uh, fighting to either avenge or for their own kind of justice. And so we really need to be able to bring the, the two factions together and have them to talk and agree that it's enough is enough and we need to put a stop to this uh, conflict because it's affecting our own people and it's not bringing any development to the community of Boko. All right, Mr. Asante, thank you very much for, for, for joining us on the pause. Uh, I mean, folks, Boko is part of Ghana. We cannot give up on Boko, no matter the, the, the circumstances. All we can do is hope and pray that they allow peace to prevail in the community. You're watching the pause, join us. We're taking a short break. When we return, We'll talk about the strike that is beginning to bite in our public universities. Now, they are threatening to extend it to teaching hospitals that are associated with the universities. How would that impact on people who are seeking medical care at some of these, uh, you know, university hospitals? We'll have that after the break. This is the Paul Stay right there. You welcome back to the Paul's here on Joy News. Now, let me take you to the public universities because the senior staff associates of public universities in Ghana is vowing to continue with a strike until government addresses, among others, demands for better conditions of service and also ensure the payment of their Tier 2 pension funds to its fund managers. 
Shortly, we'll be joined in the studios by the leadership of the association. First, let's touch base with my colleagues who are on the ground checking uh, the impact the strike is having on students and the running of the public university. Kenneth Jesse was at the University of Ghana here in Accra and joins us via Zoom. Uh, Kenneth, uh, earlier when we spoke in the afternoon, you were at a meeting where the leadership uh, were taking some key decisions. Uh, bring us up to speed on what transpired. Right, Elton, uh, the strike has since expanded to include the uh, teachers, education workers union, and uh, together with the senior staff association of the University of Ghana branch, they are not going back to their duties until their concerns are addressed. Key amongst them is their tier two pension, which the complaint is not being paid for the past three to four years. And then they're saying that the last time they met with government was in 2023, and nothing substantial came out of that meeting, and that they are not really uh, happy with uh, what is going on. So they are not returning to their duties until something is done about it. Mm. So the uh, services that are affected include the university primary school, mm. uh, the departments, the halls, and all that. And after that meeting, they went around the various departments to ensure that their members were complying to the directive. And uh, they said some of them are trying to sabotage the strike, but some of them have decided to go behind them and go to work. And then they've been threatened by the authorities that if they do not return, especially the drivers, they're going to pick, for example, retired drivers to, to, to come back and then uh, you know, perform the duties of the, uh, the ones who are supposed to do it. So the ones who are supposed to, uh, you know, uh, do the, the, the work that they're supposed to do. And so they are warning the retired drivers in particular not to intervene and go and uh, take the jobs of the ones who are supposed to uh, do it. And they want government to intervene as quickly as possible. But so, so paint for me the picture you witnessed. Uh, when you visited the campus of the University of Ghana, for example, or how is academic right. life you know, unfolding right. in the absence of these right. uh, so, kind of stuff? Well, luckily, unlike other universities, the hospital is still working. The school clinic is also still working. If you go to the University of Cape Coast, for instance, they shut all of those down, and uh, the University of Ghana branch is warning that if nothing is done, they're giving the government an ultimatum. If nothing is done, they're going to extend the strike to include the hospital and also the security department, which is also functioning. So these are the only two departments which include the senior staff uh, association of the university that are still functioning. The university primary school, which has most of the members' kids attending, is shut down. No activities whatsoever is going on there. So that's the situation on the University of Ghana campus. So Aluta continue Exactly. All right, thank you very much, Kenneth. Let me uh, touch base uh, with my colleague uh, at the Kwame Nkrumah University of Science and Technology, Emmanuel Bright Kweku. Emmanuel, this afternoon, uh, you, you, you gave me a scare when you said that the, uh, the striking university workers are threatening to extend this to the KNUST hospital. Tell us more about this. Yeah, definitely, Elton. So earlier in my engagement with... Um, the 
authorities or leaders for the local chapter, um, they were telling me that um, if government does not meet their demands, um, they will be extending this particular strike to the university hospital mm. where they have some of these um, nurses, um, sonographers, and even other staff there who um, they would have to force them to withdraw their services. And so that is what they are threatening. But when you go to the KNUSD, basic school campus. Well, when I went there, I saw some of the students around, um, quite a number of them, but their teachers um, were not around. Um, they... Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera, pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado. Para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500. Hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCIUS LLC. An abandoned classroom, so the students were teaching themselves. They had to um, take to self-learning, so you have um, some of their colleagues um, teaching them. And even um, those that in classrooms where you find any of the teachers around, they are actually um, the national service personnel or some casual workers around. But the teachers themselves who fall under the Senior Staff Association, mm. um, they are not um, at post as we speak now. And they are threatening, even or they are even advising the university staffers, that's the lecturers who have their students, and even the members of the public who have their students at the KNUSD Business School um, to withdraw um, their, their students because if the government does not meet their demands, um, they will be forced to shut down the school. So on campus that is what is really happening. And um, When I went there, what I also observed was that um, they took to the streets, um, they were clad in red, took to the streets of the KNUSD campus and marched all the way um, from the commercial area of KNUSD to the uh, administration of the university where they were also ensuring that um, some of their members mm. do not even be at post. So they just make them move out of the offices and ensure that nobody is working and in demand or as they vent their displeasure against the government. So, Elton, that is re what is really happening so on the KNUSC so campus. Not apart from the KNUSC primary school, on campus itself, uh, is it having any impact? Is it having any impact on, on academic work, well, administrative work? Yeah, so for administrative work, it's really impacting them. But for the le lectures, it's not really impacting because, mm. you know, these lectures fall under the senior members of the university and the senior staffers, they are different from um, um, the universe university um, hierarchy. So when you come, the senior members, that, that's the lecturers, they are working, but the senior staff who are the, um, the administration officers, who are teachers at the basic school, and even some security personnel um, are not there mm. as we speak All now. Right. Thank you very much, Imane Bryce Kweku from Love FM, reporting towards the situation as it exists on the campus of the Kwame Nkrumah University of Science and Technology. So why are we here? Uh, this is why the strike was called. So, uh, government refusal to release their two pension contributions since February 2023. Uh, some would say this is just less than one year old. So, why have we taken this discussion? We'll hear from the president uh, who is in the studio with us. Uh, in previous instances between 2010 and 2016, where government uh, withheld tier two contribution. They, came, they, they claim is that government was deliberate about it. 
Now, there's been disputes over penalty rates and interest calculation leading to financial losses for members. That is one of the claims that has been put forth by the striking uh, university uh, workers. Uh, to go further on this matter, uh, so there's a tier two pension contribution. Uh, they think that government has not been forthright in the release of uh, the tier two. There's also a dispute over penalty rates and interest calculation leading to financial losses for members. And I've also heard that the claim is that the Fair Wages and Salaries Commission has come to the conclusion that they, un- they are not deserving of uh, extra duty allowance and they are contesting this matter as well. So uh, they also retirees facing poverty and illness due to denied lump sums approached directly from the Fair Wages and Salaries Commission and GTEC to cut off overtime allowances for weekend and holiday work contradicting the Labour Act. So these are some of the things that uh, they feel that government has not been fair with them uh, on this matter. Now, Mark Dintra uh, Crunchy, General Secretary of TEU, uh, that's the Tertiary Educational Workers Union of the Trade Union Congress, uh, joins me here in the studio. Mark, you're welcome. And thank you very much. So you joined the strike? Uh, <laughs> I'm actually a student, a okay. student leader. All right. All right. So mm. um, the name goes by Patrick Kusiedi. Yeah, sorry about that. University mm. Student Association of Ghana mm. President. Right. Yeah. So from where you sit and looking at what is happening, how are you hoping that this is resolved? All right, so thank you very much. First of all, I'll begin by greeting your, um, the viewers um, for having the time for us. Um, as a student leader, um, my duty is not only covering, my duty is not only covering um, the academic work or the academic aspect. And so it means that all other fields of um, activity that has got to do with the life of every individual individual students in our various tertiary commu- uh, institutions or the university community. As a USAC president, I'm really concerned about that. Mm-hmm. And it's my duty to make sure that things are always in line mm-hmm. on, uh, on their behalf. Now, uh, coming to the senior staff association strike, the nationwide strike, mm-hmm. uh, someone will say it has not had any um, direct impact on academics, but I would say it is really bleeding as white mm-hmm. and things are really going on wrong in our various institutions and the report i've been having is that uh, they are not awake and when you see that when you see that these people uh, we have administrators we have security men we have um, hod's we have people who are in their various jclc's who also make sure that the hall runs day in and day out and they are not coming to work they are not actually on duty as i talked to you now and and they, and they have provided reasons why they are not at work. Yes, they have provided reasons. And with my conversation that I had with some of the executive of the Senior Staff Association, it's not only about their uh, Tier 2 pensions and the, the pay, it's also about their condition of services. Now, uh, we know that, coming to the condition of services, we know that for every overtime that they, they, that they work, so let's say when we are on vacation and they, these security men have to be in, on duty during the vacations, during the Xmas, they have to receive a compensation from the government. But then here's the case that they are saying they are not going to give it to them. And so it has propelled such a, um, an intention for them to go on strike. And it's really worrying to the point that it has also deep or 
uh, crept into our um, academic ways, as mm -hmm. I talk to you now, when you go to most of our lecture theaters, the administrators, administrators over there are not working, and the the people to fix the projectors, the people to fix the uh, the, the the boards, uh, the microphones are not there, mm -hmm. and students are overcrowded. You can't hear the lectures, and it's indirectly yeah. is affecting us. So regardless of maybe how small their contribution is, <laughs> yes. it is impacting. It is impacting. It is impacting. Work. Yes, yes. And and the report I received this morning was that when you go to KUSD campus, all the drivers they've laid down their keys. No one is at work today. All the drivers. So uh, with all the uh, the shuttle drivers, mm. they are not working today. And come and see how the students are struggling, exactly. how they are they have to walk from one place to another, looking at how distance these lecture halls are. And so right after this lectures, he has to move. By the time he gets there, the class is almost over. And it's really affecting academics. In fact, um, we plead with the government that they actually put a human face to this and resolve it for us. Well, in terms of resolution, and we're hoping that we'll, we'll, we'll get to hear from the leadership of the university workers, because last week, for example, the, the, the Fair Wages Commission uh, said they were hoping to deal with the matter. They've made yeah. some pronouncements on this matter. The National Labor Commission says that uh, their strike is making it difficult for them to bring some resolution to the matter. So the hope is that they will call up the strike and then so that they can have a sit-down uh, discussion on this matter. Now, what we are hearing this afternoon is that they may want to even escalate it to cover uh, those of their members who are working in the teaching hospitals. Yeah. That, for me, is quite serious. Yeah. Uh, what are you demanding from authorities to do to face this one, because I understand that some some who are due for graduation yeah. uh, is yes, really doing yes, it. Yes, personally, um, I have to graduate coming Wednesday. Whether I'm going to graduate or not, but then uh, when when you look at um, the their complaints and what the government is actually saying is is that. Um, Coming, they, they, they should have been on meeting. I mean, they should have had a meeting with the government last mm. week, Friday. Right. But then the meeting couldn't hold. As I talk to you now, the SSA, SSA are in meeting with the government as we talk right mm. now, trying to resolve issues and all that. And from, from them, probably the government just has started doing something about it because the information reaching me is that um, the government have been able to pay from March to April. That is their pension period. That's 2023 from March to April. That was on the last Friday. And so they are still complaining that it is not enough because from March to April, that is just two months. What about the remaining months? And so we are pleading with the government that um, kindly attend to their needs because it's really affecting. We don't know what is going to happen next, the long-term effects and all that. Because right after this, when these people go on strike, a lot, aside the lectures and everything, you know, we have quizzes and all those things to write, and we need people to also help us. The HODs, they are not around to even rectify mistakes and all that for us. I don't see any end in sight as of now. Uh, no, no, no. We, we haven't seen anything as well. Uh, have you been in touch with the leadership? Or how, yes. How willing are they to should government meet, let's say, uh, um, part of the demands? All right, so you see, uh, every problem is... Uh, a, a way to solve a problem is all about communication. And from my engagement with the SEC treasurer and the information which me is that they are ready mm -hmm. to call the strike off if the government is being able to, I mean, put something on the table or to tell them something that will really convince them that, okay, fine. You know, everything, we have to just come and work and do it. But then if the government doesn't say it, um, it's really going to um, escalate and go beyond even the number of days we are having right now. So, I mean, 
let's clarify this. Is, is, is academic work ongoing at the universities? Yes. Yes, so academic work is ongoing because UTAG is not on strike right. and the lectures are every day coming, on, um, coming to the lecture halls. But then the quality of it is depreciating mm. and that is what we don't like. You know, a lecture may come to the lecture hall. As I was using as an example, I had an example already that the lecture may come to the lecture hall, but then if the people to help you to help like effectively, yeah, effectively I'm not around. Mm. Now the lecture halls, in fact, the the, the, the various rooms that contains the, the microphones, the projectors, everything, the people to work on those materials are even not, not around mm. for a, a quality teaching and all those things. And we can count the number of days these people have been on work. And you can, you can tell how this thing has what's also impacted their life. I mean, has had an effect on, sorry, an effect on them. And so it's really worrying, and we are calling on the government that if there is anything positive that he can do about this, he should come to their aid. And we also plead with SSA that they should also put a human face to this and attend to the students for us. Because as we are on this matter, I mean, let me just bring it to your attention that Teo is also uh, on strike. Uh, we've just gotten a statement from the Tertiary Education Workers Union, uh, that's Teo. They've also announced a strike. Uh, and they say the Teachers and Education Workers Union uh, associates itself with the Senior Staff Association of Universities of Ghana uh, in the issues culminating in a current nationwide strike. It is noteworthy that the demand for Tier 2 pension payment and the restoration of payment of stopped agreed allowances were among the myriad of issues listed on the petition to the National Labor Commission in October 2023, which almost led to another joint non-teaching staff union strike in the public universities. Now, it is obvious, according to Teo, that the patience of the university's workers has waned, and the continued lethargy of government agencies in addressing labor issues will, will no more be entertained. Teo of TUC is by this statement calling on its members in the public university to join the ongoing strike in solidarity and especially on the non-payment of tier two pension contribution by government that is outstanding for nine months. Teo is calling on government to immediately uh, pay the nine month tier two pension contribution arrears of workers of public universities to ensure dignified retirement. We wish to serve notice and notice is hereby served that the teachers and educational workers union has joined the strike declared by the Staff Association of Universities of Ghana. It is hoped that the smooth running of Ghana's public universities will be revered in a swift, uh, will be reversed in a swift response of the government agencies to forestall disruption in academic calendar. And this is coming from Teo. So it looks like the, we are moving from uh, we are moving from where we are moving from <laughs> the university uh, uh, senior staff associations do not tell and tell they play key roles sure. in the running of public universities. Yes, yes. So therefore, you are not going to find people ensuring that the, the bathroom, for example, yes, is, clean, uh, is clean, the lecture yes. hall is clean, yes. the, the university campus itself yes, is clean. clean yeah. So that's another big issue. Uh, it's another big. Personally, I've, I've been a hall president before. Mm -hmm. I'm in King uh, University of Cape Coast. Mm -hmm. I was a vocal hall president. And you see how beneficial these people are to us. And when you wake up early in the morning and you want to take your bath, you want to, I mean, clean yourself and mm. everything. The moment you get there, you see that the bathrooms and everything is clean. And without their presence, things are really going to be in amazing. Mm. We don't know when we are going to wake up to take our bath, when to get to the lecture halls on time and all that. So uh, if these people are also going to join the, join the it's, going to, be, it's going to be something, big. something big. And already, the uh, new tag is also... Uh, on the fringes, yes, yes. Uh, you know, 
yes. pissing in here and there and saying that government act yeah. on our consent otherwise <laughs> you leave us with no yes. choice i think for for the la for last week we were able to meet the gtac president professor jampo mm. and from his conversation he says that um, they are giving the government um, the end of this month if they are not able to provide what they need they are also going to so a student, how does all of this make you feel? Um, it, we are feeling insecure. I would say academically, we are feeling insecure and all the other aspects combined because... Um, look Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Not how the future is not promising. I'm not saying the future is not promised last mm -hmm. year, but then in, in, in the short while, the future is not promised because looking at, we have a fixed academic calendar. Mm -hmm. And if these people are to join on strike, we don't know, we can't measure the, uh, the replication that is going to have on us because UTAG is on strike, TU is on strike, mm -hmm. SAC is on strike. Then it means that it's more like we're on vacation. We are the academic calendar, the, day, the, the time and the day is always running and running and running. Mm -hmm. And so we will say that, um, as I've already said, the government should come in. Probably we don't know the conditions, mm. what they're actually demanding from the government. But then if it is something that the government can do something about imme um, immediately, um, we should speed up. Before I let you go, as rep of the student front, we are in 2024. Election is just some, what, uh, 11 months away. Uh, what are your expectations? I mean, you, 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 you if, if not for this strike, I'm sure that you are, you are, you are rehearsing ahead of Wednesday to graduate and then join the labor market. How, first of all, your expectation of the political leadership and the promises that they will be making to us from the, from, from the students from, what are your expectations? All right, so thank you very much. Um, I mostly, more often than not, I hear people say that uh, it's not good for a student leader to join a, <laughs> to join a, a politics or probably to have a, a say in a national discourse, mm. a political discourse. And I feel, I feel that it's very bad and it's wrong because when you measure news from the news, from news, their data, we have almost 30 million students in our country. Mm. And so almost 30 million students is a huge stakeholder when it comes to national mm. decision making. And so I always feel like students are also part of national discourse and I have a say in that. In fact, so, in fact not to actually cut you short, <laughs> but the last election in the Ayawaso West Wagon constituency, okay, yes. I mean the claim was made that the reason why a particular <laughs> candidate didn't get much votes was the reason was the fact that the students were out of campus. Sure, sure. And that played a key role yes. in the outcome of yes. the election. So that shows how important students are. And so um uh, due to that, we, are, we, we have a say, mm. especially when it comes to the university front, we have a say in national discourse because almost every university student is eligible to vote, mm. probably more than 18 years to even um, vote when it comes to elections. And as part of our process, or as part of the, uh, the things that we have put in place in order to assess their policies, whether it's going to help us or not, we are even coming out with plans and programs like... Um, uh, uh, leadership reflection mm -hmm. where we are navigating the past, the present, and the future educational policies. Okay. And we assess them so that at least we can foster a meaningful policy assessment in our country. And so these are some of the things that, are, aside that we have a lot of programs that is going to, we are going to invite these people on board and make sure that they also come on board and give us their 
promises, their plan mm -hmm. that they have for us. So mm -hmm. that when we are voting, we know that, okay, this is who we are voting for, and this is that we are voting for. You know, USAC doesn't belong to any political party. It's an uh, is is independent mm -hmm. on any political party. And so well, like, we have a say when it comes to all these things and all that. Yes. Well, so that's the president of USAC party. Thank you, you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm praying that on Wednesday, the strike will be off so that you can get with oh, this. Yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> I will definitely get it. All right. Thank, Thank you so much for coming so through. Right. You're still uh, watching the polls here on Joy News. Now, let's talk about electricity because in the, in the, in the, in the last few days or weeks, uh, there's been intermittent power outages here and there. The ECG will come up with a statement. People are so not convinced. The claim is that we are back in the Dunso era. But the electricity company of Ghana says... It is, uh, and then there's also the issue of VATs, 15% uh, deposition of VATs on, uh, on, on, on electricity that you consume. Now, the ECG this afternoon says that it is just to implement a 15% value-added tax on power consumed by customers above their lifeline levels. As of government's uh, post-COVID recovery plan, the finance minister officially notified the country's uh, very distributed network through the Ministry of Energy to impose a levy on power consumers above lifeline levels, a policy which says should take effect from January. By external communication manager of the electricity company of Ghana, Leila Abubakar, tells Joy News, the ECG needs a bit more time to understand how to implement the new regime. She also touched on how the company is dealing with a debt obligation to independent power producers. She'll be speaking to my colleague, Blazer Soga. So the value-added tax announcement that came uh, into effect in January has appalled a lot of our customers. The truth of the matter is that we haven't started implementing it, even though that letter says that it should have been activated in January. The reason being we still have to understand how to implement this tax. So we are having uh, active conversations with the Ministry of Finance, with the Ghana Revenue Authority, and with other stakeholders who have also brought their concerns forward. So for now, there's no value other tax as announced included in residential tariff or residential customers buying electricity. For now it's still the old status quo. When you buy there's no VAT added to residential customers buying bills. So are you equally engaging stakeholders to perhaps resolve some of inter-stakeholder uh, challenges that may be affecting you know, power supply across the country? We've maintained an active engagement with our stakeholders who mostly comprise of the power generators to have them on the same page with us in terms of payments. I think since last year, our revenue generation has um, increased and we found the way of uh, ring fence, you know, having an agreement with the IPPs to hold on to the legacy debts that we owe them. But we are very up to date with the current bills that come to our desk. We try as much as possible to pay off those debts so that they can also function as um, businesses. And for any other issues that might be within, yes, usually we have engagements with all the stakeholders that are, are in. in. Then your final comment on the year V18. So what is clear is that the ECG has yet to start the implementation of the 15% VAT on electricity, uh, even though government directed that beginning January 1, 2024, that should take place. The ECG has been explaining why they are yet to implement that policy directive from the Minister for Finance. But let's focus on other matters, because the continuous dwindling of, of donor support is mounting intense pressure 
on third world countries to be creative in sourcing funds to endanger development. The challenge has, however, been how to do it and from where. As development advocates, various civil society organizations and NGOs have been leading the course in various forms, including philanthropic gesture, but just to, uh, to the benefits of a few. In a bit to broaden the nets and its impact, the Ghana Philanthropy Forum, the non-governmental organization which monitors the philanthropy space in Ghana uh, to put a global perspective on specific issues such as poverty, inequality, global health, education, climate change, human rights, among others, has held a third philanthropy New Year School. How did the school fare? And what would change with regards to sourcing funds to support development at the national and local community level? Dr. Ben Okra is Executive Director of Philanthropy from, and he's joining us in the studio to throw more light on this matter. Many thanks for your time and welcome to the pause. Thank you very much. So why has it become so difficult for third world countries especially uh, to get donor support uh, in the last few years? Um, thank you very much and uh, Thank you for inviting me to the studio. Mm. So, well, this has been a global issue, and um, one is because of the, uh, the new economic status of our country. Mm. Then also... Lower middle income status. Lower middle income status, uh, which has pushed us uh, beyond certain boundaries, and that has actually um, limited us as far as funding is concerned. Um, it's also because of the lack of trust um, for um, sector actors, uh, NGOs and philanthropy. Uh, actors within the the the, eco, the ecosystem. Lack of trust, as in people are not truthful in the utilization of the donor funds. Yes, reporting problems. They are not transparent as to what they get. Um, they are not accountable to donors as well as you know. Um, I would say stakeholders. Meaning of crooks. Yeah, a the, lot of crooks in, yes. in, in the sector. Exactly. So people write nice proposals to get funding, and yes. then they don't use it for the purpose for which they were provided with the funds. Exactly. Exactly. How rampant or how, how, how serious is this development in the space? Um, it, is, it, is, it is very uh, serious, uh, especially looking at it from the point of view of the pandemic in 2020, uh, 2020 when the COVID, uh, when the COVID, the COVID era, um, actually, uh, that was where it started. Um, and during the time of the COVID, um, most NGOs, or civil society organizations didn't actually know what to do. Okay. We were all taken aback and not prepared. Government came into the space and did a lot of humanitarian activities. Um, at that point, uh, we were just standing and looking, okay? And then along the line, we caught up and then there were strategies and innovations and creativity as to how to address some of these issues and we came in. Um, but then that was... Uh, I mean, on the last scale, driven by grassroots support, local support, right. because the foreign funds, the foreign uh, philanthropic capital wasn't coming. Mm -hmm. So then we have to dwell on our own uh, humanitarian efforts and other things, which was really good. I mean, from the faith-based uh, sector and also from the CSO, philanthropic actor uh, uh, space. So, so, so when people go contrary to the laid-down principle, what happens? Well, um, normally... When you do that, then perhaps your donor, your principal donor may cut off funds. Uh, you may not get it. Um, and sometimes it can become criminal and you can be you know, taken to court or anything of that sort. So during the uh, philanthropy New Year school, mm -hmm. um, we were able to 
treat certain uh, topics as far as accountability, uh, good uh, bookkeeping, rec uh, record keeping was concerned. Mm. We brought the MPO Secretariat, which is the body that uh, regulates uh, NGOs and CSOs in the, uh, the national space, you know, to give us some insight into as far as regulation and what our obligations, the NGOs' obligations are. Mm. You know, and it was a, a, a process for us to learn, a process for us to know our obligations, and also to help, I mean, uh, sector players to know how to conduct themselves within the space. Mm. So um, the school is it, it, it's one of the means by which you bring theory and practice together mm. because we have some professors from the universities. We have three professors and a number of PhD holders who are treating different topics, you know, uh, ranging from um, project, uh, project uh, concept design development, evaluation, um, reporting, and things like that, which is going to help with accountability and also uh, mm. trust within the space. So um, in a nutshell, we are saying that there is a knowledge gap because mm -hmm. um, the NGO or CSO sector is a free space. There's always new entrants. Some students finish school and they want to become philanthropic. I um, mean, people are going on retirement, they want something to do, and they fall into that space. Mm. They come in without any practical experience. So we thought that having a school like this uh, would do as good by, you know, moving the frontier of knowledge and also helping us acquire the necessary skills and competence to be able to conduct ourselves in the right manner so that we are not, uh, you know, falling back. Because the, the claim out there for many is that the, 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 the many non-governmental organizations we have in the country, yes. not all of them, some of them, yeah. only exist because they want to use it as an avenue to get money from donor countries for their own personal use. Yes. And that their commitment to whatever they preach is not really there. Okay. Yes, so that has been one of the issues. And again, I feel like Forum has been trying to do something about mm. that. Um, in terms of helping the sector to become more credible, so we have what we call verify for good mm -hmm. or validate for good. And that is in partnership with some of our international bodies. And what we are intending to do is to have, we do a regular validation of NGOs around the country each year or every two years. Has there been sanctions in the past uh, where maybe some NGOs have you know, their licenses, whether, 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 whether licenses yeah, exist, their licenses are withdrawn because of misconduct? I don't, I have not heard about that, even though um, there is a requirement on all NGOs to obtain a licensing from the NPO secretariat after mm. you have registered with the registration department. Mm. So there's a licensing that is required to be re renewed every year. Um, and that is very tedious because then they have to uh, verify the, the, the background of your board of directors and so on, the top management team, to be sure that they have no criminal, criminal background and background, all that. You know, so we're in the I'm process of cleaning the I'm space. actually asking this question because, if, in fact, there's this very popular slogan okay. which says that we have so many non-government organizations operating in the northern part of the country, yet the reason why they are there uh, you know, to, mm -hmm. to, to sort of, not to eradicate, but to reduce yeah. to the barest minimum the, the, the high level of poverty in the area. Yes, poverty is very high. Yes, you have so many NGOs operating yeah. under the same umbrella. Very true. Very true. We have all types of NGOs. We have individuals. We have groups of two, groups of three. Mm. Um, some of them are not even registered. We call them CBOs, you know, community-based um, organizations. organizations, and they are also operating. And uh, we know... Los mejores viajes 
nacen en la carretera, pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Good at every year, a number of them get registered with the regional department, but if you go to the NPO secretariat for now, mm. to want to ascertain uh, which NGOs are actually in good status that mm. have obtained license to operate, I don't think you would find more than 10,000. Okay, between 7,000 and 10,000 mm -hmm. who are, I mean, say they are legitimate, they are credible, they are working on the ground, and they are following the due process in terms of renewing their registrations. And so who monitors? Who, who monitor and evaluates their, their activities? Is the NPO secretariat. And are they doing their work well? Yes. The secretary was set up, I think, two years ago as mm -hmm. a result of the NPO policy that was passed. Uh, now we have a bill that is soon going to go into parliament. Sponsored and by that, government? Sponsored by government. Okay. And then there's going to be a commission that is set up you know, and there's going to be a commissioner. So then the regulation and all of that will be more stringent than it is at the moment. Mm. So it's a way to get this, you know, the space more organized. And so the, the New Year School, what are some of the things you came up with? The New Year School was a great one. Um, we had a lineup of um, instructors uh, from, you know, the U.S. and other places. Mm. Um, and uh, one of the things that uh, we think we have acquired is the networking um, and also uh, the opportunity for practice and theory to come together so there's a synchronization so that we can move the frontier of knowledge in terms of theories and concepts that have been developed in the universities. Mm. The practical, uh, the, the, the practitioners can also make an input as to uh, moving that forward. Then also, we treat a subject in an area of uh, how to manage organizations, NGOs, and especially with designing proposals, you know, implementation, accountability, record keeping, evaluating how to, you know, be visible, and more importantly, professionalism within the, se within mm -hmm. the sector. That has not been uh, treated for some time now. Okay. It's an opportunity for us to also unearth and to share some of the learnings that uh, some of the leaders within the space have, have gone through by way of conferences that they have attended in the, you know, in, in abroad, which, you know, some of our colleagues may not have the, the benefit or the strength or the resources to attend. So we kind of do some kind of a debriefing so that we all are abreast with development trends around the world as far as NGOs are concerned. So this bill that is yet to go to Parliament, the yes. aim is to regulate the activities of NGOs? Yes. So I, I want to believe that you have had your inputs already? Or? Yes, but there's a final consultation with the space, with the NGO body that's expected to take place within a month or two before it finally gets to Parliament. And you expect right. that this bill will be passed? Yes, yes. This year, mm -hmm. this year, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. So, in the absence of the donor, you know, flow, donor flow, how are you operating? Um, well, um, some... Some NGOs uh, within the sector are actually going two legs. Um, they have their private social enterprises and also the mm -hmm. NGOs. Um, some are most are using their salaries and their uh, you know own income in, in running their organizations. Um, but then there are some also developing innovative ways mm -hmm. uh, in terms of fundraising. Fundraising uh, you know has has different different forms. This time we have the crowdfunding. Uh, 
and then propose that writing to their techniques as to how to go about it. So we learned about uh, developing proposals, good proposals, and also concept note. When do you uh, submit a concept note and in what fraction of state does it have to be? So um, it, it, is, it, is, it is tough, but then we are moving <laughs> on. We are moving on. Yes. But, but, but how, how would you rate the, the, the contribution of NGOs in the development of the country? It is very key. Um, besides the fact that they also contribute to meeting the SDGs, uh, they also contribute towards the attainment of our local national goals also. Mm. They also contribute to peace and stability, just as we think of churches do, because they also provide humanitarian needs to people within the communities that maybe government might not have been there, but they do all that. So I think they contribute positively, but mm. uh, it is very difficult for government institutions to kind of uh, value uh, the place mm. of NGOs within the country, but I think it is time for us to see them as a strong force uh, whose contributions goes a long way in pushing the country to the goal that we want to attain. As well. One more can be done to make them more accountable, more transparent in the, in the discharge of their duties. Uh, yeah, I think the policies and regulations of government should be friendly. They should not just be to control, control, but they should aid. They should provide an enabling environment so that um, they can improve. One of the things that is lacking is incentives for giving because they are not people who give or donors don't mm. get any incentives. There's no motivation to keep giving. I think that corporate bodies and individuals who might, make, who might have made substantial donations to non-profit organizations should have some tax breaks. Uh, I was actually coming to that about the level of taxation you experience in your work. The level of taxation yeah, that you experience we, in your work. Yes. Um, the level of taxes. Yeah, we yes. pay some taxes. Mm. We pay taxes for, for our employees. Uh, if you purchase some product or items or resources for use within the NGO, you normally would, would have to pay taxes. There's a percentage that is paid beyond certain threshold. You pay taxes on it. And we do. All right. So, I mean, bringing this discussion home, so what I do in terms of leveraging on the outcome of the New Year School to advance the development in your core areas? Yeah. During the... Uh, conference, um, there were teams that actually came up that uh, some groups have already come together to develop policy documents on. Mm. And I think um, that is very, very helpful to have stuff like that. Then also we have a backup. We have follow-up events um, uh, post this conference, which is taking place at KNUSD um, come February 15th. Mm. And also uh, this Thursday we have a backup, I mean a follow-up uh, training at the University of Ghana Business School. Dr. Mm. Okra, I would like to give you your parting words before you leave us. Thank you so much. Mm. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thank you so much for coming. And we hope and pray that hopefully next time will come. Some of the things that you discussed <laughs> yes. at the New Year School would have, you know, uh, matured in the way you conduct yes, your business in the country. Yes, and I want to congratulate you because the work of the non-governmental organization is very key Thank and you. very important as we advance the development of this country. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you, too. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You're still watching the pause here on Joy News. We'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll look ahead of the Black Stars game against Mozambique, a make-or-break affair. Are we going to advance to the one-system stage of the AFCON, or are we going to park our bag and buy it and come back home? The outcome in the next few hours. But we'll come back to uh, assess the chance uh, of the team ahead of that crucial game with Mozambique at 8 p.m. tonight. So in less than four hours, the senior national team, the Black Stars, will face Mozambique in their last Group B match, which will determine if they will progress to beyond the group stage 
of the African Cup of Nations football tournament currently holding in La Côte d'Ivoire. Now the Stars are currently at the bottom of Group B and must secure a victory to stand a chance of qualifying for the next stage of the competition. So my colleague Anna Sabit has been interacting with some Ghanaian fans in Abidjan who are optimistic that the Black Stars will sail through. Here's his report. The African Cup of Nations enters its you know, third round of matches in the group stages. And today, the Black Stars of Ghana will be locking horns uh, with the Mozambicans uh, in that crucial encounter that will determine who seals you know, its ticket to the next stage of the competition. Ahead of this particular uh, crucial encounter, we hit the streets here in Churchville to gauge you know, the expectations of the Ghanaian community or the Ghanaian fans who are here in their numbers to show their support behind the Black Stars of Ghana. Let's have a listen to what their expectations are ahead of that game against Mozambique. As a Ghanaian, Black Stars are the only team that we have, so we must give them maximum support for them to win tomorrow. So I'm sure that we are going to do better, better than what they do against Egypt. We are expecting nothing but um, victory, and uh, we are we are just encouraging our brothers in Ghana that they should keep on praying, both Muslims and um, our Christians. They should intensify their prayers because tomorrow's match is going to determine whether we are winning the trophy or not. Tomorrow, inshallah, we are going to win by three goals to one or three nil. Yeah, Kudus will score, and then the other one is deadlocks. Majid. So we are going to score them two one or two nil. So here in Ghana, in the Greater Accra region, my colleague Kenneth Jesse visited Nima, you know Nima, the birthplace of Black Stars talisman Mohamed Kudus. The fans there are confident of victory. Defeat to Mozambique tomorrow means the Black Stars will definitely be out of the Africa Cup of Nations in Ivory Coast, unless results from the other teams in the group go our way. Where Nima, the birthplace of the poster boy of Black Stars, Mohamed Kudus, to ask football fans what do you think the chances of Black Stars are ahead of the game against Mozambique? You'll have enjoy news. Do you think the Black Stars can beat Mozambique tomorrow and qualify? Uh, inshallah, for sure. If the coach did the right thing by putting in the right players at the right positions. Because uh, Nike Williams used to, we used to watch him at Atletico Bilbao. He used to strive from the wings. Now, we are seeing a different things altogether. And you see, this player, Richard Lamte, even though he's a local player, I think he's better, far better, 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 I mean better, than some of the so-called professional players. You should give him a chance. He can give us results. Doing the right thing, we are going to beat Mozambique, inshallah, tomorrow. Let me ask you, what did you think of uh, the, the, the last match that we played? How, how did you think of our performance against Egypt? Uh, it, was a, it was a much-improved game. For me, they did so very well. In fact, the whole team came to the party. Right. Every single player came to the party. They were all good. I think just that there, was, there were no chances that were created. Like he mentioned about Inaki Williams. Inaki Williams is a very good player who needs the services of a very good ball passer. The likes of ACN, Wakasu, and it appears we don't have that, those type of players in our midfield. So you find out that Inaki Williams will do all the runs and comes back. Nobody fits him with the passes. Even Asamojan would have suffered with such a team. So, so, so what, what do you think we should do against Mozambique so that we can beat them? 
So we, we need a supplier, somebody who can feed the strikers. You understand? Create the chances. Our last game against Egypt, the chances didn't come. It was just some, some small opportunities Muntari made very good use of. But we needed to create at least four or five chances and get two inside. And I'm very hopeful that um, the next game we will win, no matter what Ghana is qualifying by the grace of God. I right. think we are qualifying. Yeah, yes. Let's talk about Mohamed Kudus, who yeah. scored two goals for yeah. uh, the Black Stars in our last match against Egypt. Yeah. Do you think he could be the difference maker going ahead into More the game? Difference. Our next one is going to score again. So that's what we are expecting. But if he scores and then we concede, that means we are unlikely to qualify. What do we do? We are, he's going to score and win, and we win. Have you been impressed so far with the Black Stars' performance at this tournament? Uh, not really, but uh, the second match was a very much improvement from the first match. So the thing about Ghana is that we have so many coaches, but everybody is a coach in Ghana. Everybody has his own tactics and strategy that will help Ghana advance to the next stage of the competition. But what exactly is the coach saying, the, 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 the guy who is paid with the taxpayers' money to deliver is a victory? Chris Wilson is confident of, of victory. Uh, aware of the magnitude of this game, we uh, we know that uh, it's, this is a game that uh, that we have to win. Uh, our preparation going into the game has been uh, the same as uh, in the two previous games, and uh, all we can do is prepare the team to play a very uh, tough match, as all of these games are. Uh, and to make sure that we put in a level of performance that allows us to win the game. So we are just hours away from, few hours, actually not so, not, not so much of hours, few hours away from kickoff uh, at 8 p.m. Ghana time. So uh, how is the team prepared and are they ready to take on the challenge uh, that they are going to face from the for, for the Mozambicans. Let me take you live there. My colleague Muftal Nabila is in Abidjan for us. Muftal, you're welcome. Is everything set and ready to go? I think everything is set. I'm not sure there's anyone who is more, more motivated for this team than the players themselves. I've had the privilege of interacting with some of these players. And the players are getting that they are in for redemption. They are very much aware that they haven't started so well, but all of them along, what they believe is that they've had a very jerky start to this campaign, mm. and it is important that they right the wrong. Um, we, we all heard from Dennis Ojoy talk about how the players failed to occupy the lines so that they wouldn't allow the opponent to do their chances. And in this encounter, it is important they occupy their spaces and ensure that Ghana is able to nullify the opponent, create opportunities and score. Psychologically, these boys, what I have gotten from them, suggests that they actually feel this is a tournament that involves a do or die after. Because mm. the chance of them actually believe that it is more of a disservice to themselves and to Ghanaians if they are not able to do well and exit the competition back to back. Mm. There are certain things that, uh, or certain conversations that I have to relate to. When I had the opportunity of going to the team hotel and all that, that I wouldn't put, would like to put on record. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? 
Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Escuchas ese rugido. Sientes la experiencia de poder. La emoción de la libertad. Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500. Hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Para que te sientas, boys who are very committed to the cause of Ghana, and they believe that later tonight they will be able to secure a win against Mozambique. So the determination is there, but on paper we don't look too good. I mean, we've had, we've played for two games, we have, we, we've lost one, we've drawn one, we have scored three goals, conceded four. That doesn't look good for a team that is seeking to advance to the next stage of the competition. Well, the, the, the fact is that Ghana has made each game. A win is non-negotiable, and if that wins, that will give Ghana four points. This is a competition that four other teams who are best placed in their group can also qualify to the next phase of their competition. So as you speak right now, um, it's just a win and nothing more. Uh, if, if you have paid attention to this competition so much, you realize that there are so many draws in the other game. So what it means is that Ghana must finish this game or else if another team that has gone three by one point is also able to win this game, that team will also get four points. So it makes it quite tricky. But the hope of many Ghanaians is that, in fact, I had a conversation with Steve Napier, but for this one, I can put it on record. Mm. When I was speaking to Steve Napier, he told me that it, that game between the Biden and Egypt is very tricky. So Ghanaians can be hopeful that the Kibet can frustrate it. However, they should not be thinking about the fact that Kibet should do Ghana a favor. Mm. The boys should go out there, do themselves the favor they are looking out for by securing a win. It is only a win that would put Ghana um, in, a, in about 95% chance of qualifying to the round of 16 of the competition. Other than that, a draw tonight will just bring us back to what happened in Cameroon. Are you privy to the possible lineup for tonight? Not yet, not yet. But uh, some of the some of the information that I've got uh, very suggest that well, because I understand that Julian Schmelo is, is available and might start this game. But I tell you that since um, they were quite hit on whether who starts or who doesn't start. But I, I get a sense that they are likely to go with the same lineup that played against uh, uh, Egypt on, on Thursday. But you're already in the studio. You're already in the stadium. What is the mood there? Is it one of optimism? 
just a electrifying and but just before you say um they were in fact let me just say this if the football has not so Ghana so much Ghanaian music here and so the fact is so it's been dominant it's been speaking to the the speakers in pubs and also inside the stadium mm. so just before you can see that famous song boy was put on speaking to the speakers inside the Olympic stadium so the atmosphere has been one of the times it's been electrifying it is it is uh, it is uh, the host nation football that is important to it which is about to kick off in the next 10 minutes or so so we are set up a thousand people here and the hope is that the um football is able to be a tenth of this number my just stay behind to support the black stars because when you get a ticket it gives you an opportunity to watch games so what means is that Ghana might just have um, additional support from the Ivorians who are inside this stadium and that potential to the top man, uh, the players will be able to deal with it later tonight against Mozambique. So, so, so Kevin, they've already qualified, so clearly in our group, the two possible slots clearly is between Egypt, Ghana and Mozambique, so out of the three, any of them can go through, and that makes the situation quite complex and serious. So Muftal cannot hear me. He's already uh, in the stadium ahead of the kickoff between Ghana and Mozambique. Uh, if Ghana is able to uh, win, uh, we'll advance. So Muftal was asking that in our group, if we take a look at the at the at the table. Kevet, uh, they've already qualified, and they'll be waiting for their next opponent. But between Ghana, Egypt, and Mozambique, it could be anybody's slot to advance to the next stage of the competition. That makes the situation complex and very serious at the same time. It is. It is. It is. It is anybody's slot. If Mozambique wins, they have four points. Because if you have a game against Egypt, if Ghana wins, Ghana has four points. If Ghana wins and Egypt also wins, All right, so let me pick your prediction so I, so I can let you go. So uh, that's it. Uh, that's uh, Muftar Nabila coming to us live from the from Abidjan, where he is there for joining us watching the match. But 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 of course, at APO, I'm sure that you can watch it live here and then throw your weight, your support, your prayers behind the Black Stars so that they can win and win convincingly and advance to the next stage of the tournament holding in Abidjan. The hope is that we will end the trophy drought that's eluded Ghana. In the last 42 years, last 42 years, uh, that's that's quite serious. But that's it for today's edition of the Pulse. Uh, tomorrow we'll be, we'll be back here same time. But for more on the Boko issues, you can join Evans Mensa, MFR Power on News Times on Top Story, and of course on Joy News Prime at 7 p.m. We have more uh, development coming from Boko and the other uh, news headlines making the rounds today. My name is Elton Brobe. Have a good evening and take care. See you tomorrow, same time at 3 p.m.